Hello, 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 and welcome to The Rev Up, where we talk all things revenue growth for business. Uh, if you are responsible for marketing, for sales, for account management, anything to do with revenue growth, or in fact, you own your own business uh, and want to learn what is working, what isn't working out there in the world of revenue growth, uh, and maybe you want to have a little bit of fun along the way, you are absolutely in the right place. Uh, my name is Ben Shipley. I've spent the last 19 years of my life building and leading revenue teams all over the world. Uh, and the Rev Up is brought to you by Trust the Process, where we help small to medium-sized businesses grow uh, by leveraging cost-effective skilled staff offshore, as well as technologies like CRM systems, things like HubSpot or ActiveCampaign. Uh, you can visit www.trusttheprocess.com.au if you would like to find out how we can help you or just to have a chat and ask some questions. Today on The Rev Up, we have my good friend, Laura Picardi. Uh, Laura is the founder of Uppy. Uh, she's a speaker, content creator, uh, comedian. I can absolutely vouch for that. Uh, author of the best-selling book, Unfaked, and co-host of Banterpreneurs, which is uh, an improv podcast for small business owners. Very, very, very much worth a listen. Uh, Laura's been involved in small business in some way her whole life. Um, she now combines her, her English wit uh, with her years of experience as a stress management expert, personal performance coach, and business leader. Uh, to deliver unique experiences that show professionals and entrepreneurs how to think and behave and communicate a bit differently, um, you know, so that they can achieve what they want really without burning out. That's kind of Laura's um, area of expertise. Um, and obviously she's one of those people that just likes to have a bloody good time while doing it. Uh, and so very excited for the conversation with Laura today. We really get stuck into her story and some of the the main lessons, including uh, what came out of and what she learned after her whole business burnt down. Uh, so really excited for this show. Um, I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the show, Laura Picardi. Thank you very much. And the crowd goes wild. Woo! <laughs> Woo! I can't believe it. What a time to be alive. Um, Isn't it? <laughs> Laura. <laughs> Uh, people won't necessarily know how we know each other, but we're friends, obviously, outside of the business world. Yes. Uh, we met through uh, a mutual friend uh, who also happens to be like in the entrepreneur space running their own business. Yeah. Um, and uh, we both live on the, uh, the beautiful central coast, mm -hmm. uh, trying to run businesses and work and be in this world from uh, a little bit outside the city. Tell me, yes. what's it been like for you working uh, two hours north of a major city in the world of entrepreneurship and business? Well, I've got to tell you, um, for well, for an English person, clearly I'm English. If you, if I'd have done that in England, I would. Well, I just wouldn't have. Like two hours is a weekend yeah. away when you're in England, yeah. um, but in Australia, it's a very different perspective. So I will happily go to the city for meetings or for gigs or whatever, and it doesn't. It uh, doesn't matter. I'll do it at the mm. drop of a hat. Um, but thank thank the Lord for all the virtual stuff that we've got, honestly, because it just yeah. makes it so much easier. 
Um, I'm, I'm now with child, so it means I can still take gigs on that I might have had to say no to uh, yeah. otherwise. So, and we, we get to live the dream, right? The beach is right there. Oh. You can go for a quick paddle and then come back and do afternoon meetings or whatever. Like, yeah. if, if you want to talk about balance, you know, we definitely have the right setup to achieve that, I reckon. Yeah, oh, for sure. For sure. Um, you and I, I suppose, like um, in those mutual friend settings, we've probably connected a, a little bit over an, a, a mutual appreciation of uh, wine. I uh, was going to say food, that, a bit yes. of banter, <laughs> uh, but also, you know, like a, a mutual love for business and, and entrepreneurship. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you, your business, Uppy Media, has... Um, I suppose come after like a, a sort of lifelong journey through mm. small business. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, maybe the, I always say the half a glass of wine version, uh, <laughs> because that depends on how fast you drink wine. Um, I'm English. Uh, don't forget. So very fast. <laughs> the, the half a glass of wine version of like, you know, where this all kind of all this journey all started for you, um, how you got to this point and kind of what you're working on at the moment. Yeah, so look, I'll give you the yeah the the English fast version. Um, otherwise, we'll be here all day. So I I basically I feel like it was written in the sand for me that I was going to be a business owner, entrepreneur, whatever you want to call it. Um, I was basically born into business. So we lived above my parents' department store when I was born. My mum was working mm. right up until the day she gave birth to me within that department store. Um, I think I first started working there when I was maybe three years old and I would price things up with the old, remember the old school pricing yep. guns? I'd be out the back doing that in exchange for lollies. Um, nice. <laughs> probably they'd get reports for that nowadays. Yeah, exactly. And they actually, they used to trick us. So once you price something up, like the, the tag tail would come out the end. So mm. they used to challenge my brother and I to see who could get the longest tail. Oh, that's a classic. <laughs> I know. Um, That's a great challenge. Yeah, exactly. Great. It's a great lesson, actually, in um, how to motivate team members. If you know that they're people that are <laughs> goal orientated and like a challenge, then, yeah. um, you know, they figured that out pretty quickly with my brother and I. Uh, so I worked in that department store for, well, actually until I came to Australia. So really until I was 28 years old, on and off, I went to uni. I had different jobs, different careers and, and professions, but I would still work there on the weekend. I'd help them with their operations, their marketing, as I kind of learned more about that. Um, so that was, honestly, I feel like that was the best education I could mm. have got. <laughs> I, I studied business at uni, but really to be in the thick of it and to be part of it, to make mistakes with them, to try things out um, was the best learning that I could have had yeah um and also I didn't know that I didn't know that about you uh, I think that's a similarity between us um that you literally lived above the department store yes uh like business in almost in the family home it was the same for me my parents yeah. were wholesalers out of our house uh, there uh, you in go. the surf industry and so I grew up in small business with it literally being in our house, yeah. working from our house, you know? Yeah. And of course, now we would try to separate things, wouldn't we? Because we want that elusive <laughs> balance, but it was different back in the day. Um, and so uh, actually then, so that was a really good learning for me. But what was also a really great learning was working with my dad. So <clears throat> our, mm. our store sold, we had three departments, toys, bicycles um, that went from kids' bikes to high end and then sports goods. 
And so as I grew up, I then went and worked more in the bike department with my dad because it was more interesting. Like you actually had to sell something, particularly Mm. when it got to the high end stuff. It wasn't just an exchange, like when people Mm -hmm. are buying a toy. And I realized now in hindsight how what a master seller my dad was and and is Um, he basically would just have a conversation with people they'd walk in he wouldn't say do you need any help like that was forbidden we were not allowed to ask people that because that just is a very closed question right Mm. Um, he would just pass the time of day he'd get to know them he'd have a laugh he'd probably spend too long with them to be fair but that's fine Um, and then and then he would sell them something based on what he'd found out about them and what they needed and generally he'd probably sell them something more than what they thought they'd come in for um, in terms of the the type of bike all the accessories and everything but they they would be thanking him for that because he sold it from a place of authenticity Um, so I realized in hindsight that was unbelievable learning for me Um, and as I'll say my quick version this is the quick version by the way that's where I've come back around to nowadays is is realizing the importance of authenticity and that's why I love what you do Ben um, and why everything that you do resonates so well with me because you're all about authenticity looking after people treating people as humans and I've I've I kind of had that at the start had to go away from that to then come back and really appreciate the power Mm. of that um so yeah my dad taught me that without realizing (laughs) very early (laughs) on um and then I moved to Australia I fell into the health and fitness industry I uh became a personal trainer luckily Mm -hmm. the gym that I did my work experience at said that they'd sponsor me to stay in the country as any uh foreigner expat whatever you want to call us would know that's like the golden ticket yep so I immersed myself in that industry uh began managing that studio that I was working at and then I had the opportunity to convert an old video store if you remember what those things were um into a personal training studio so I fitted out the whole thing I put in bathrooms offices reinforced floors like got all the equipment you name it I decked it out um, and went through all the BS that goes with that with all approvals and stuff Um, and so yeah then I found myself with owning a a gym Wow. (laughs) Um, so completely different industry completely different way of of um, working with people, of um, selling to people. You know, I was now selling more of a service, which Mm -hmm. isn't, you know, I didn't have a tangible thing. You know, here's a bike, do you want it? Essentially um, was kind of (laughs) the the overarching thing we were doing in the shop. Um, Whereas this was selling them something that they couldn't touch and feel. We were selling them an idea, basically. You're ultimately selling them a... Uh, an ideal future version of themselves exactly but the challenge of that is you can't you cannot guarantee it because you rely very much on their input they have to do the work so um at that point I really learned about that I'm for those listening I'm doing the quotation marks the sales process so I did Mm. a lot of sales training and that around um you know find out what their pain points are kind of 
rub a bit of salt in the wounds, um, mm-hmm. make them feel a bit worse about that, show them what will happen if they don't do anything about it, um, and then show them the possibilities if they do do something about it, and then how I was the person and my gym was the person to help them achieve that. So I learned that process and look, that was pretty good. Um, not all of it sat well with me, but I didn't have the confidence to figure out another way to do it. I just followed what I'd been taught basically. Yeah. Um, you, must, you must in the gym world also learn some lessons around like audience building because, you know, um, there's that, that community aspect to, mm. to bringing in members and having them uh, support each other and work together and have fun and all those sort of things that aren't just about that end goal. There yeah. must be some like some lessons about that sort of community audience stuff in there too, I imagine. Yeah, definitely. And I, I don't know whether I think I don't know whether I probably pushed that enough in the sales process. I was very, very much about that um, post sales. Mm. Well, I suppose that's still part of the process, actually, isn't it? The the yeah. customer care. So at the end of the sales process, I was all about that. I'd take them for coffee on Saturday mornings after boxing and did lots of things um, to, to really build that community aspect, which which then was great for retention, because um, mm. that's 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 the key right once you've got people through the door you want to keep them and for me I wanted to keep them because I knew their health (laughs) and wellness was going to benefit if they stayed with us as well so there was that kind of moral aspect to it Um, but yeah 100% I think in hindsight I could have leaned more into that community aspect rather than just selling them on that yes we can help you lose 10 kilos kind of thing which I think um is what we were taught to kind of focus on that goal that they came in with yeah um so that was interesting uh oh I'll tell you what was more interesting was uh within the first year towards the end of the first year of operation I um got a call one afternoon from my head trainer I'd gone home early one night because I was very very tired and I got a call from my head trainer to say hey Laura there's been a bang and there's some smoke in the gym and so I uh, headed back down to the gym thinking oh my god can I not just have one afternoon off I'm sure all of the business owners out there will resonate with that do I have to do everything and um, very very long story short I got back down there over the course of the next three hours I stood and watched my whole gym crumble to the ground there'd been a fire in the in the neighboring restaurant and um, unfortunately, my eye was out the back. My building was out the back and the flames from their fire just ripped through my building and tore my entire business down. Literally up in smoke. Literally. <laughs> and it wasn't an insurance wow. job, by the way, if anyone's wondering that. And if it was, it was a shit one. But you <laughs> were insured, right? I wasn't sure, but not for enough. Um, so I could do a whole podcast on those learnings. Mm. Um, however, I relocated my business the next day to another gym. I found someone who would let me take all of my clients and trainers there um, and carried on training from there. So that was that was interesting because yeah. I wasn't necessarily fulfilling what I'd promised them when I when I when I got them on board, the clients and the trainers, mm. you know, everything had changed. Um, we still promised to deliver the results, but it was in a completely different setting, completely different scenario. Of course, um, you know, things were up in the air a little bit. So for mm. me, I found that very difficult because I felt like I was being 
inauthentic, even though it wasn't my fault. <laughs> mm. um, which eventually people were were actually a bit forgiving. Oh, totally. There was only yeah. one client out of I think I had sixty on the books at that point. There was only one client who didn't come down, and it was just because she didn't drive, and it was a little bit further, and she just couldn't do it. But everyone wow. else followed us. I even had one trainer who I just got on board. And I said to him, I'm going to have to find you somewhere else to work because I can't, I'm not going to get clients on at the rate I said I would. So I'm not going to be able to pay you. And he actually said, Laura, I'm just enjoying learning from you. Can I just stay for free and keep learning from you? And I was like, wow, cool. (laughs) That was a nice little um, reinforcement that I'd probably been doing a little bit all right with the team. Um, So that was interesting. So I really had to change things up then you know if I if I brought a new client on the conditions were so different um Mm. so I really had to uh learn how to how to still sell them on the thing that we could do but just in a in a slightly strange setting (laughs) Mm. um what did you do though because I always find moments like this really interesting um they ultimately end up being these little kind of pivot points. And sometimes Mm. people go through them, they survive them, but then they decide to go a different direction. There's lots of different things that happen in those moments, Mm. but but ultimately whether a business survives or not comes down to maybe four or five of these moments over the years where it's like, I got to do something. I got to figure out what to do. Like when you had that moment and all of a sudden you're like, I don't have anywhere to deliver for these guys. Like what Mm. was your approach to just working your way through it, figuring out how am I going to keep this thing going? Yeah. I, I just knew that I had committed to helping these people and to the trainers. I'd sort of committed to helping them achieve their goals. So for me, it wasn't a question of would we keep going? It was just a question of where and how, Um, so Mm. actually to start with so that happened on a Friday so the Saturday boxing class we did in the park (laughs) the next day and then I remember so this was all in Maroubra and I was living in an apartment that looked sort of over Maroubra Beach at the time and I remember being on the phone to someone and I looked across and I saw Maroubra Seals um, which for anyone that doesn't know it's like an RSL but they've Mm. got this awesome gym on the top floor they've got 25 meter swimming pool it's amazing and I was just like oh, hang on a minute, I'm going to go and speak to Marie Brasile's. So I literally um, walked up there and asked to speak to the director, told him my predicament, and he said, yes, you can come and operate from there. Um, So I just didn't ever have the mindset that we weren't going to continue. I just Mm. had, I knew we'd figure it out. (laughs) I just, I just didn't know how, actually. So um, yeah, yeah, I guess that's just good testament to going, I know it'll be all right. And that, I don't have to have the answers. I've just got to put one foot in front of the other at the moment and and know that it will take me to wherever it is that I need to go. Yeah. I think that um, that those moments are the moments really where leaders have to have to step up. And you do see so many businesses where they have it's not as obvious as my my place of business just burnt down. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But there is a metaphorical portion of the business that is burning down. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes people don't want to look at it. They don't yes. want to look at it. They don't want to focus on it. And they find 50 other things to get distracted by when this is really the most pressing thing. Mm. And I think sometimes 
um, entrepreneurs, leaders in businesses, even if you know if you're leading a team, if you're leading a department, if you're leading a country in a in in a business, um, or you, you own it yourself, when there's that burning building, mm-hmm. like it has to be your job to just go. I, this is everything. This is everything mm. I'm going to focus on. <clears throat> I'm going to get something done with this yeah. and work through and push everything else aside, push all the other distractions aside. Uh, like, have, have you, I, I know you've, you've obviously um, got a background in coaching and things like that, but have you mm. seen that sort of thing, that sort of thing as well? Like that lack of ability to just go, this is the thing I got to get, get sorted. Oh, a hundred percent. We love to focus on all of the other things. We've got the different personality styles. You know, some people like to avoid things. Some people just get anxious about the things. Um, some people go in overdrive and, and just sort of, only focus on that, but do far too many things um, around it. But whatever the way is that people approach it, the whole point is they're just trying to (laughs) avoid it because they're scared Mm. that, and it's always that big, scary thing, right? That, you know, if you do address it, everything's going to be better. Um, And so I I find that focusing on that, that end result or the core, probably the core result is the most important thing. For me, I knew the most important thing was to, continue to fulfill my promise that I had made to my clients and to my trainers Um, and so that was like a a laser focus like a homing missile Um, I just knew that that was the goal that we were working towards and I knew we'd get there I just knew we would Um, Mm. I just had no friggin idea how and um, and it didn't matter I think that's the thing as well is we always, we always try to, we think we have to have the answer straight away. And that mm. in itself can paralyze us from moving forward. Whereas if we can just, same as if you're going up a ladder, right? You wouldn't go from the floor straight to the top rung of the ladder. You have to take each step at a time and focus on each rung at a time. So I find that's the most important thing. You know what's at the top of the ladder. You know you need to get there. You know you want to get there. But then you've got to bring your focus back down to each rung and just take each rung as it comes yeah and what what happened after the um what happened after the gym um well I actually burnt out haha pun intended um (laughs) I I I I kept it going for nine months at this other Mm -hmm. place um but I just behind the scenes like to everyone I was fine on the surface but behind the scenes I was adrenally fatigued couldn't get off the couch like all sorts of health issues so I did have to come to the decision that like I've got to shut this down I didn't know how much insurance money I was getting if I could open another thing all that kind of stuff um so I shut that down by the way just something came into my mind that I, I wanted to to share about my whole gym thing and that aligns nicely with we think yeah. we have to have everything sorted when I started my gym we had lots of delays opening the physical building because we had like issues with the ramp that was like one degree too steep or something mm-hmm. stupid like that so I actually started training my first clients at the beach we did their initial initial consults and nutrition sessions in my car in the car park at the beach they were paying full price that they 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 paid when they were actually in my full decked out personal training studio and it just popped into my mind then as I was thinking back I was like wow I think and they were my they stayed with me forever those clients I'm still friends with them now and I think that's probably although I didn't realize it at the time a testament to the authentic way I had brought them on 
and the mm. rapport that we built quite quickly they were prepared <laughs> to start in these really shitty conditions um yeah. but they weren't worried about the the bells and whistles they just believed that I could get them the result that they wanted and they were willing to go on that journey with me however it looked yeah. um and so I think that's a really nice um example of you don't have to have all your shit together you don't have to have all the answers mm. you know as long as you are coming from that place of authenticity you are still delivering on what you promise it might just be in a slightly different way or context then I think that's the most important thing that just came into my brain as we were talking which I thought might be yeah. valuable <laughs> it's amazing to think like that like we always think how we need everything to be perfect mm. um, you know, sometimes in business, because you know, you know, all the, like what's under the rug, you know, all of the, all of the problems and what the real deal is. Yeah. Uh, And because of that, sometimes I think we undervalue what it is that other people might see in us and other people might see in service and what, um, and what we do. And, uh, you know, like you can, it's better to start doing your, your nutrition sessions and your plans and things sitting in the car in a car park mm-hmm. than to not start. hundred percent. Right? It might yep. not be the ideal environment to start in, uh, yep. but it's better than not starting. Exactly. And as long as you're open and transparent, you know, they could have walked away if they wanted to. Um, but mm-hmm. I was always open and, and transparent with them. And then they had the choice if they wanted to, um, you know, <laughs> freeze in the car park or not. <laughs> um Anyway, so sorry, I digress, but I, I thought that was a nice point to, to add. Um, so, yeah, after I shut the gym down, I then had to figure out how to get my health, my body, my life back mm. because I was really at rock bottom. I'd fully burnt out. Um, and so through that process, uh, I learned so much on my personal journey, but I did extra you know, new courses, qualifications, read every bloody mm-hmm. book you can think of. To really come to the understanding that it was my mind that had been driving my physiology. Um, Things that you just spoke about then, you know, my business was also metaphorically burning down in different ways, but I was avoiding them. So I had all this pressure on me all the time. Mm. I wanted to be perfect. I wanted to be the best. You know, I'd set really high goals that were too high to achieve and then beat myself up for not achieving them. It was all this kind of stuff that was constantly putting me in fight or flight mode um, that was then that eventually led to to my demise, if you like, physically. Um, So once I learned that, and then I learned how to manage and overcome that, I realized that most people are going through this to some degree, particularly business owners, because we do have, you know, a lot more responsibility on our shoulders when we're we're running the show. And so that's when I then went into coaching, um, Mm -hmm. particularly with business owners, professionals, and particularly around stress management and changing the helping them change the way they think and behave as well so that they can still achieve awesome stuff, maybe even more, um, but not work themselves into the ground at the same time. So it ain't fun. <laughs> yep. That's all. Yeah. And if anything, be, you know, certainly been um, a key theme of the last few years. And so I suppose you were probably a little, uh, maybe a little early, earlier onto that, uh, yes. that avenue than, um, then we've seen it become pr- a, like a really prominent topic mm. with a lot of people just um, struggling, really struggling and yeah. really feeling like they don't have the energy to keep going the, the last. Yeah. And it, it was, I found it really interesting that to start this year, 
actually I found a lot of people were struggling to come back to work. Mm. Um, almost like it was the, the, the end of that whole uh, COVID streak mm. um, and people actually got a chance to maybe take a little bit of a rest and just were just needed extra time for the batteries to recharge. That's what it yeah. felt like anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a bit of a double-edged sword because it was good to be working from home because, you know, there was no travel time, any of that kind of stuff. So there was a bit more time to have a bit more balance and do the things we wanted to do health-wise or family-wise or whatever. Um, but then there's also the isolation that comes with working from home, which is a slow, it's a slow burner. Um, I find mm, that on yeah. your mindset. And then of course, if the mindset isn't, isn't um, operating at its optimum, that can then drive the physiology as well. So <laughs> I think we're still in this state at the moment where we're trying to figure out how can we get that ideal kind of balance or more ideal balance where we do have physically a bit more time but then we're still um staying connected to communities we're still feeding mm. ourselves with mm. the things that actually make us feel calm and present and allow us to then remain energized it's not just about physical having more physical time it's about that mental side as well yeah and the the shift for for lots of people that were used to working in offices uh, shifting to working from home I think so many people ended up actually doing significantly more hours yes, um, because yeah. there wasn't that, that, you know, geographical barrier um, yeah. to, to work and communication. Um, I think that played a big part too, you know, just mm. the, the volume of hours that people are doing today or particularly have been doing the last few years is more than it was in 2019. Yeah, absolutely. They they went back to our parents' method of doing things. The work was in the home. <laughs> it mm, was always yeah, there. That's it. That's <laughs> it. Weren't used to it. And then it was just like every time a ping goes off, it's like, oh, I'm back into work. Oh, another yeah, email, another I know, Slack I know. message, another whatever. Um, yeah, crazy. But yeah. I'll tell you what, what was interesting for me um, with the coaching side of things as well. So initially... I got a lot of my business through physical networking, physical speaking gigs, you know, with coaching, particularly the type I um, do and have been doing. It's a very personal thing. So I can't just rock up and go, hi, my name's Laura. You know, would you like me to coach you around your deep, you know, talk about your deepest, darkest things mm. with me? Um, you need to nurture the heck out of people before they're um, ready and willing to even have a, an initial conversation with you. So that was fine to start with, with physical networking and physical speaking gigs. But then when I went to take things digitally, I found that really difficult because I then became a tiny, tiny, tiny fish, a minnow, if you will, in a mm. very big pond. And it took my brain a while to understand that no one knows who I am. <laughs> they do in my circles in Sydney or whatever, but online, no one knows who I am. And so I was very much... Um, guilty of trying to jump into bed on the first date with my audience mm. and with my prospects and yeah. also I was guilty of assuming that they knew more than they did assuming that they knew that their challenges were because of stress um, you know so I wasn't educating them correctly I was jumping in you know if you look at the customer journey I was jumping in way too far along the journey I hadn't done the, the courting and the legwork with them so 
I then started to get all these feelings of failure and and all that kind of stuff which as you know you would know and everyone listening would know once those feelings start it can be a bit of a spiral down Um, so for me that was a very interesting um, learning around really understanding who it is you're talking to where they're at and what they need to know I had to step backwards and figure that out quick (laughs) yeah and like um doing all of that in a digital environment is definitely mm. different. Uh, and I think anybody that was just doing kind of, you know, physical in-person delivery uh, of whatever services, products, et cetera, they have and had to shift to, to a digital service mm. probably found that was very much the case. But I also um, have seen pretty conclusively that um the way people buy has changed in the last three years. Mm. I've been, I've been running sales training and uh, you know, business growth training for, for years. And I always was saying years ago, I was saying uh, how you sold 10, 15 years ago is different to how you you have to sell now, Mm -hmm. Um, but that's happened again. That's happened again in the last two to three years. Like, yeah. So tell me like, like in what way? Uh, I would say probably the main one is mm. where people get their information from now. Um, right. There is a lot more social in decision-making than there used to be. Mm. There is a yeah. lot more. Um, so like, a, I think a good example of this is um, the, the massive expansion of decision-makers in a, in a decision-making process now, particularly mm. in B2B, it's gone up significantly because you can just pull in any, anyone from anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to be, they don't have to be in the office to be a part of the decision-making process. Yeah, anymore, okay. Right? Um, they can just jump in a Zoom or whatever. But actually uh, that decision-making unit has extended out into people's personal and professional networks. Mm. And so a lot of um, which solution are they going to go with, which service are they going to go with, a lot of the discussion around how people should think about it, um, how what the best way to solve the problem is and who should help them happens in mm-hmm. places that we can't track and places mm. that we don't know exist. Sometimes it's like a Facebook group. Sometimes it's a business networking community, but it's peers. It's peer-to-peer conversations yeah. now rather than, um, rather than just like review sites and going and talking to three or four companies and seeing which one you like the best. Mm. Like for the most part, they people are pretty decided by the time they get to you. And that's, um, that's really challenging if you are new to them mm. um, or you are a new growing business because you have to get in with people who are going to refer and, um, and approve of a decision of going with you in order to get some of those decisions made, especially if you mm. want to scale that, um, that ability to, to close and convert. And, and I guess what, it's... What um... I guess that is also um, highlights the importance of the way that you communicate uh, your value, what you do, what your offer is as well. Um, I guess when when you're talking about that and all the different decision makers, you probably have to hone that even more because you're then relying Mm. on one person or some other people to become your salespeople, right? You have no control over, you can't communicate it to all the decision makers. So um 
that's an interesting point I think that that you really got to you can't just kind of keep on talking until something lands <laughs> you got yeah. to really understand who you're talking to what it is that they want and then really refine your pitch according to that and then hope that they can easily regurgitate that to all those different decision makers so they're getting the information they need right yeah absolutely absolutely so tell me about the the business coaching journey and from there to to now yes so that so I um I very much focus on personal so um helping people with their personal mindset personal behaviors so that then they could operate better um yeah um, at their optimum within their businesses so I just wanted to find that I wasn't a business coach <laughs> mm, yep. I need my own business coaches um and so look I quite honestly got the shits with the coaching industry a few years ago um particularly with the digital side of things I felt like I was just surrounded by a lot of people promising a lot of things that they couldn't deliver and I know they can't Mm. deliver that because you cannot transform someone's life in a six-week program you know I just knew they couldn't do that so for me I got to the point where I was like, God, am I going to have to make these big promises as well just to get someone to look at my landing page, Um, you know, just to get them through a tiny bit through the door? Um, And if, you know, am I prepared to do that? And if not, then what? Um, And I decided I'm not prepared to do that. I'm not prepared to make a promise that I know I cannot deliver. So I left. (laughs) I walked away. From my business, because at that point, I didn't understand how to do it in a different way, in a more authentic way. And I think sometimes you do, sometimes you just get to the point where you can't see the wood for the trees. You do have to take a step back. And at that point, I had to take a big step back. So actually, when I worked at marketing agency as a copywriter for a bit, which was good on the job learning, actually. Um, Mm. And then through that, I regained my confidence. I figured out. Uh, more around who I was, what was important to me, what I wanted to be in business. Um, I definitely throughout my business journey have been guilty of being a bit of a chameleon um, and shape-shifting to be who I think I should be in different situations. Um, And so I finally got to the point, and apparently, audience, I'm allowed to say a swear word. I think I already have. I got to the point where I said, fuck it, basically. Yes. Um, (laughs) This is who I am. And this is where my value is. And so I'm going to deliver that in my business. So I came back to Uppy. I bring in comedy in what I do. Um, I focus on giving people experiences. Um, You know, I'm not just a, so I speak, um, I present, I do podcasts. And so it's it's all about authenticity. The key for me, everything I do is I want people Mm. to see how, good it is to be authentic I want every person I interact with to leave feeling a bit positive or feeling like they've you know just smiling (laughs) because they've 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 had something to do with me so I realized that that was important to me so I focused more on delivering these experiences to corporates and to kind of open doors for people again I'm not going to transform someone's life from one speaking gig but if I can just get them to think a bit differently show them some doors that they can walk through if they decide they want to then my job is done Um, and then they can go and get the more specific um, help and advice that they need Um, and I've found that so many more opportunities and better opportunities have come my way when I've been able to communicate 
communicate that to people um, and when I've been operating mm. that way just having fun and getting shit done that's my mantra um, and just just speaking from the heart and being real yeah I kind of felt like that in a lot of my business circles anyway um, it just felt like it was all a veneer um, and yeah. I'm not I'm not subscribing to that so taking it upon myself to remove that veneer at least in my world <laughs> yeah I, I I love that and um, I mean look the the whole um, authenticity angle I think is one that has been talked about a lot um, yeah but there is there is layers to it and mm. uh, you know it's really interesting to think of it in terms of um, like who who am I trying to appeal to right mm-hmm. because ultimately our our marketing and our sales efforts are about trying to um, appeal to a certain customer group in order yep. to be able to provide them a service. Um, but if you have a group of people that would connect with who you already are, who you authentically are, mm-hmm. by being any less than yourself, you become mm-hmm. less to those people that you are the perfect fit for. That's right? true. That's you have very to, true. You're actually lessening your value and lessening your appeal to your core mm. and your perfect audience by trying to appeal to everyone. Um, there's something that I heard someone say years ago. I'm sure this is a quote from a from somebody famous, but um, <laughs> you can uh, have it. <laughs> yeah, a, a mentor of mine has been saying it for years, which is um, if you try to be everything to everybody, you'll be nothing to nobody, which yeah. obviously is not great grammar, but uh, it's a great saying. Yes. Um, I've done that, people. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell me about it. Tell me tell me about yeah. your, your approach to like, um, you know, not just the buzzword of authenticity, but like how do you actually mm. deliver on that in a way where you can connect with people and and achieve like a commercial business outcome from it? Yeah, I think so. I definitely did that, particularly with coaching. You know, my message and my offering was so watered down because I was so scared of of, of niching and just saying this is the one thing I do. Um, and absolutely, that was the result. I got nothing. It really didn't go well for me. I threw a lot of money away on different marketing campaigns and things. And um, that just it, it just wasn't the right thing. But the, the more I've understood my value, the, the more I've been able to refine my offering and the more I've been able to understand the types of people that that offering is right for and the type of people that I like to work with. So as well as um, the authenticity allowing me to have more fun in my business and really deliver um, over and above and beyond, um, once I do then um, work with someone, it allows me to understand which opportunities to take in business and which opportunities to say no to and to confidently say no to those things because if it doesn't allow me to deliver in the best way possible as myself then it's not it's not the right thing for me and Mm. I understand that now but guess what there's so many more things that are available to me that do allow me to be that person and more have presented themselves to me than ever before as I've become much clearer and then remember I was saying about the mindset piece around that 
that has to be sorted to give you energy. I have so much more energy when I'm doing these things because it's the thing that's aligned with who I am and what I want. Therefore, I deliver better. I get better referrals, you know, so it then it then starts to become its own beast. It's not constantly looking for um, new leads all of the time. You just stand, you deliver what's what you do best. And then, mm. um, you know, those people become your your salespeople and your raving fans and and come back and oh, want to do absolutely. more with you. Yeah. yeah. And there's probably like a flip side opportunity cost to it as well. Right. Like um, you, you do it less your way in order to appeal to people, to a, a wider audience. Mm. Um, and so actually you appeal to your core audience less. You pick yeah. up a client that's less of a fit for you that you end up mm-hmm. spending way more time trying to figure out how to deliver for them. Uh, yeah. way more time having to manage them and yes. deal with complaints and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, and you probably don't get the client that would have gone with you. That was a perfect fit for you. Yeah. There's yeah, a whole opportunity exactly. cost side, like um, at, at trust the process, pardon the, uh, the trust the process example, because it, it might come across as a little bit of blatant uh, self-promotion. But uh, <laughs> You can but, have that one too. Yeah, well, you know, it's my show, so I can... Yeah, I totally. You the boss. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so at Trust the Process, we obviously do offshore team members for people. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of different ways that people go about offshoring, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of different ways. Um, we absolutely intentionally will never be a cheap offshore provider and a lot of people mm-hmm. are looking for that and that's okay mm. right but we won't be a cheap one because we believe that wherever you are whether you're in a, in australia or not if you're overseas mm. whatever country you happen to be in everybody deserves to be treated with respect and everybody mm-hmm. deserves to have a great job and yeah. so we ultimately have like a no assholes policy with our clients Mm, right great because we want we want people that are going to be good to our people that are in the philippines pay them well we pay them above market we provide them with health care and social security and uh, Mm. annual bonuses and all of this sort of stuff because we don't just want to hire people as a blunt force instrument for people we want to hire people um into great jobs that they're going to stay with for the long term, yeah. uh, that they're going to love the work and they're going to love who they work with. Um, and some for a lot of people, that's not what they're looking for offshore for. Yeah. They're looking for offshore to get a volume of work done that they don't have to think about that they can give to somebody else um, and they can pay absolutely almost nothing for it, right? And then they probably don't that's get the thing they wanted anyway at the standard that they want. And so... You know, some some do well, right? There are some offshore providers that do that kind of race to the bottom model. Right. Some of them are pretty good, right? Yeah. Um, but it's not for us. It's not what we believe in. We don't want to be in a situation where our team members are just getting hammered, having to make, you know, 150, 200 calls a day uh on the back Mm. of a dialer just slogging through slogging through slogging through and hating their life we want mm. happy employees who love what they do and work with great clients and we have yeah. to be particular about that but that's that's what we enjoy that's what we care about and what makes us happy in the work that we do and so we're going to miss out on some clients right? yeah but you don't want them anyway and and by communicating that 
as often as you can wherever you can you're going to attract the right the right people right that's why I you know jump to the opportunity to be on this podcast because I know that's what you stand for and and I want to be associated with people like that (laughs) you know I wouldn't be on a podcast with someone who was a race to the bottom and I think that's another thing around um being in business as well is is associating with the right people that are allowing your authenticity to flourish and who are reinforcing that and not dragging it dragging it down making you think you should be something that you're not yep yeah, don't be, don't be, don't be a different person to win the deal. I think that's probably no. the best way yeah. to sum it up. Like, yeah, just be you. You'll win the right deals. You'll be. A, it'll be terrifying to turn away customers. Yeah, um, it's even more terrifying to fire customers. I don't know many people out there have been through mm. that experience. Sometimes the greatest decision you can ever make is to fire your own customers, the wrong yeah. customers for you. Um, and it's amazing how quickly they get replaced usually with better customers. Better ones. Yeah. Um, and more sleep. <laughs> <laughs> much more sleep and much more time for your good customers. Yeah, um, exactly. It's interesting, so, actually. So sorry to cut you off. That's okay, I just you go. To, um, so uh, also uh, more my husband's thing, but I'm obviously the wife who keeps everything going in the background. Um, we've also got a couple of restaurants, as you know, mm. up here on the Central yep. Coast. El Toscano, and if you're in, if you're Toscan. in Terrigal, Long Jet, Long Jet, did I say it wrong? Long Jetty. No, no, I just put the Italian accent on it. Oh. You put it in an Australian <laughs> accent. <laughs> Il Toscano. Il Toscano. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, but what's been interesting about that is exactly what we've been talking about here um is you know he's really stayed true to his authenticity so my husband is Mm. from Tuscany um he is not prepared to do a carbonara with cream um Mm -hmm. (laughs) if someone asks for something that is not authentic he will generally say no which is why I find it very difficult to work in the restaurants because I I don't like saying no I like to to try and (laughs) (laughs) you know accommodate as best I can um but we you know we've had to make decisions people are saying do you do coffee do you do pizza no, we do, we do pasta and we do it bloody well. There's plenty of people doing coffee. There's plenty of people doing pizza. We've got our business model. It stays mm. true to um, him and what he is good at. It allows us, you know, obviously you have to think of the bottom line and all that as well. It allows us to be able to run two restaurants in these challenging times and keep them going and, and be successful with them. Um, but there's a lot of no's that have had to be said along the way. Um, to be able to get to that point where, um, you know, we can happily say that they're doing well and, um, you know, we can go on a holiday if we want to kind of thing. But it's all come back down to knowing what's important to you, what you stand for and not compromising on that. Yeah. Uh, You've just reminded me, I think the first time we met you guys uh, was at your house and you guys served like a bread and pasta sauce type dish. Oh, Papa Pomodoro. Oh my God, I've forgotten about that. I need to get it. It was amazing. That. I've never had anything <laughs> like it. It was amazing. Absolutely yes, that's amazing. true. Oh my God, my pregnant belly is like my baby's doing <laughs> somersaults in the belly now, just thinking about it. It's like uh, the ultimate <sighs> comfort food. Yeah. Yeah, that's as Tuscan as you get. See, that's a good example. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, uh, I don't, I, I can't have the bread anymore, but uh, no. I, I will forever remember. Forever oh, good. Remember. Well, it warmed your uh, heart. I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> RIP to my days of bread. 
<laughs> so tell tell me a little bit more about your like um your like where, where you're up to now. What what are you doing now? Yeah, uh, so outside of the restaurants, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So um, so basically, I you know on this journey, I, as I said, I realized comedy is very important to me. Buggering about is very important to me. I used to think I couldn't do that in business. I had to be serious and professional all the time. Um, but actually, that's who I am, and I deliver the results at the same time. So I remember thinking before I came back to the business, why can't I just have a thing? Like, why can't I just be a lawyer or, you know, an accountant and just have this thing that I'm good at and then sell it? And I was like, well, hey, I'm good at buggering about <laughs> and having fun and being authentic. Why can't I just <sighs> sell that? Um, and so so now that that really is what everything is based on. So really focusing on, because I love presenting and I love speaking. That's always given me energy. So I've kind of rejigged the way I do that. So it is more of an experience rather than just me standing and delivering, um, which is where I started. So it is about giving people an experience, whether it is through physically speaking or virtually speaking. Um, I host podcasts for people. Um, I present for people. I've got my own podcast. So um, that's my wheelhouse and so that's that's just where I'm focusing I'll still coach people if they come up to me and they're the right client um, but mm -hmm. that's not where I see my future my future is in is in presenting and delivering experiences for people so that's that's yeah. now my business model nice uh, anybody who is listening go and check out uh, Banterpreneurs yes um, excellent podcast lots of fun and I'll be on it soon I haven't asked oh. him yet but <laughs> I've been I've literally been sitting here waiting for you to ask. Uh, well, you know, I, I, I've been making you sweat. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, I definitely will accept when you uh, when you Excellent. invite me officially. Um, the tell me a little bit about then your because you, you've talked about being authentic. Mm. Um, I know you, you're somebody who has like some sort of core beliefs things yes. that you um you believe in you kind of stick to um tell us a little bit more about like your your approach and the things that you believe are, are really important when it comes to um you know growing businesses mm, I think the first one uh, where I did go wrong for a long time is really knowing my audience um so of mm. course first you've got to know yourself like I said we've been through that but then really understanding who am I talking to what do they need what do they want I want to know more than they know that they know if that makes sense mm, you know yep. I have my coaching background I am obsessed with human behavior and the way the, the brain works so I do have quite a good insight I'm an NLP practitioner so I've I've kind of learned how to read between the lines when people talk and understand kind of what is actually going on when they mm. say things so I find that very helpful in this process is to understand what actually do these people want? Um, and then how can I, well, how can I communicate that to them or not? <laughs> maybe I maybe I understand what they want and I can't deliver it. That's fine. I'll tell them I'm not the one for you. Um, but just really intimately understanding my audience is, is a very large learning process that I've had to go through. Um, no one wants to speak to someone and not get a response. That makes you feel really mm -hmm. crap. Um, so being really clear on who it is you're speaking to and speaking to them in their language um, is very important. Now, 
what's interesting is I'm saying speaking to them in their language, which you might think, oh, well, that's not authentic, Laura. You know, you said it's all about being yourself. Um, but what I've learned is you've got to make people feel comfortable, first of all. Yeah. And the best way to make people feel comfortable is to um, be relatable, is to be something that they know. That all comes back mm. to how the brain works and the stress response. If yeah. you can give people certainty, um, if you can create a comfortable space, they're going to relax, they're going to be more open, and then you can take them on the journey that you want to take them on. So the easiest way to do that initially is to just understand who are they, um, what do they need to hear, and how do they need to hear it. So really figuring that out um, has been one of the biggest learnings, I think, yeah. for me, and one of the biggest, um, has had the biggest impact in my business. How do you how do you kind of convert that into like a like a strategy though? So the knowing your audience, a lot of people use things like um, customer avatars, for example, to yep. say, okay, so this is my customer, this is what they're interested in, this is how they talk, you know, all that sort of stuff. Is there mm. is there an approach that you've taken to that, you know, delivering on that know your audience belief? Yeah, so I have I have created my avatars. The way I've done that is to speak, to actually interview people who mm. I think are my avatars and write down every single word that they said. Um, I, now I can do it on Zoom <laughs> and record it. I'd have to write it down. Um, but so because so you're getting their language as well and things in their words. So mm. I um, when I started out, just interviewed like I was focusing on business women at that time. So I just interviewed loads of business women. Each woman I spoke to, I'd ask for a referral to another one. Um, and I just asked them all sorts of questions around what keeps you up at night, you know, the deeper questions um so that I can kind of have that as the foundation when I'm talking to them you know it might be I know I'm talking about coaching now or speaking what I'm really talking about <laughs> is the fact that you're knackered and you feel overwhelmed you feel like an imposter so you can sort of filter that in subtly um mm. so yeah just speaking to them but then also I will go on Facebook groups LinkedIn all that kind of stuff and just um see what people are talking about obviously the people in my um, audience and just understand what questions are they asking what comments are they making um, and then I'll just kind of just keep because everything changes right so I'll just keep kind of adding that to the the information around them and okay I know who the person is but this is what they're talking about right now yeah yeah there's I mean there's so many parts to that upfront um so we call it, uh, and I know a lot of people call it this too. I'm not the first one to. We call <laughs> it uh, the the demand creation sort of part of sales and marketing, mm -hmm. um, which incorporates things like, um, you know, knowing who your audience is, what's your customer avatar, uh, how do you want to communicate with them, what sort of topics do you want to talk about, what conversations do you want to win and own, mm. um, and then how do you like build that into an audience. Mm -hmm. And how do you take that audience and convert that audience into demand that you can then capture in mm. order to sell to? Um, yeah. Is there, I don't know. I mean, I haven't, um, I don't know if you, if you necessarily have an answer to this, because honestly, it's quite a difficult question. to. Mm, let's is there, see. Is, is there <laughs> a, um, is there an approach you take to kind of think about that intersection between um, like, who are my audience? What am I talking to them about? 
and mm. what do I want to sell them? Because those things actually, mm. like they do have to marry up. Yeah, There does have to be a connection between the two in order for it to have a commercial impact. There's no point yeah. in building an audience for a thing that you don't sell. Yes, 100%. Mm. And when I came back to Uppy, that's what I did, first of all. I just was mm. building the audience because I didn't know what I wanted to sell, actually, at that time. I just knew I wanted to engage them in this different way. And that was good for a start. And then it got to the point where I was like, oh, I've got nothing. it's like inviting someone around to your house for dinner, but they're not actually giving them dinner. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I, I didn't have anything to give them. Um, so I was kind of in a unique position in that way because I then let them guide me as in as to what they wanted um, mm. because initially I didn't in my business first of all but after I'd kind of come back to it I knew that I wanted them to guide me I knew of course it was going to be around things that I'm good at um, but I wasn't sure on the specific specifics of it if you like so um, once I had built a community again and engaged them um, then again it's just asking asking them questions like if you you know if you were to this this is when I was going back into the coaching if you were to engage a coach right now what would you engage them for what are your biggest challenges so I I then just tried to understand what it is that my ideal people wanted and then understand mm. okay well can I deliver that if so like what can I build around that so that I'm actually giving the people what they want um, yeah. I think I said before I was very guilty of um, of not realizing where they were and trying to sell things to them that they didn't realize they needed um, so actually to be honest the foundation the thing that I offered was was pretty much the same as it always was but the way that I was packaging it up and communicating to them mm. was very different yeah did that answer the question it does, yeah. Um, and sometimes that is sometimes that is that kind of match up. That is that intersection between what you sell and the audience that you're building is actually how you represent and present and package up the thing that you mm. sell, right? Sometimes that think, does make the connection. Yeah, definitely. And I th and and same when I'm selling speaking gigs, right? I might have like I've got one my my like most popular talk. I, I can package that up in probably 10 different ways but the content is the same um, but I will just sell it differently depending on what the person is looking mm. for they're still all going to get the same value from it um, but but they need to hear from me that it's going to deliver on different aspects or give their audience a different experience so I think yeah it's about finding that blend between you got this product and you got this service that's what you're good at um, that's great. So you want to sell that, but then you've got to un you've got to kind of combine it and understand what do they need or what do they need to hear in order to then um, make that move to to actually commit to whatever it is that you're doing or selling. Yeah, yeah. That uh, that that I think in everything in marketing and sales, like um, a lot of people think about the individual checkpoints, right? Mm. Like. Um, get the email address, add them to the audience, um, yeah. send it like all the pieces that you, all the things you do and the stages you have them in. Um, and actually not that much about how do you convince someone to transition from one stage to another? Mm, yes. Like, how do you, like what is the, tra how, how are they going to go from there to here? Um, yeah. How are we going to um, entice them to move from one stage to another? And so they end up in these 
these cycles with their customers where a customer lands in a stage and then they chase them in whatever version that is. It might be uh, now we, they go into an email sequence uh, and a retargeting sequence and now we're chasing them because they've gone into that sequence mm. and it's like buy, 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 buy. Same in the sales, in a sales process. Like we have a meeting with them and we send them a proposal and now we're chasing them. Did you read the proposal? Mm. Did you, did you share the proposal with the other people in the bit? Like, mm. and we're just like chasing and hoping that they'll make a decision and decide to move to the next stage themselves. Yeah. And those transitions are like underrated. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and again, once you know them, you can understand what they need at each point. And I know mm. you have a, a process in your trust the process um, around making things easy. You'd want to hope so. <laughs> yeah, I know. You've got to have a process to trust, my friend. Um, and it's around making things easy for them, right? To, to mm. then be able to make the next step. And again, it comes back to this idea around making people feel comfortable, uh, removing uncertainty, making them um, feel like they're understood. That all creates this safe environment for them so that they are more willing and able to open up and go on the journey with you. And again, that's something I learned. You know, first of all, if they don't know stress is the problem, I've got to educate them on stress, first of all. I can't just give them the solution when they don't realize what the problem is you know so they just need some articles and some things and then once they realize stress is the problem then I need to talk to them about the solution and then once they understand that I need to then let them know how I deal with that solution and then I need to you know I had to learn how to to give them what they need at every single step so they had that certainty they had that understanding Mm. and then they could transition through that appropriately which I think is what you're you're talking about right yeah yeah um, I don't have a particularly good uh, a particularly good transition from this to the next part of the discussion. Uh, so I'm just <laughs> going to transition by telling you that I don't have a good one. Perfect. Um, I, I I think that anybody that does really well in in business um, is typically somebody who's quite self led when it comes to learning. You know, they're mm-hmm. usually um, a voracious learner in some capacity. They might read, yeah. they might um, take courses, they might go out and talk to, like, go to events, whatever, right? There's a thousand mm. different ways you can learn stuff. What has um, what has been your approach to learning? Where, where have you kind of acquired the most amount of information and knowledge that you've, you've been able to use? Where does that come from? Um, I love audio books. Um, Mm -hmm, Because, you know, like all of us, I'm busy. Um, I like Mm -hmm. to do my exercise every day so I can kind of incorporate both. Um, And I find that when I read, I usually fall asleep. I'm I'm nearly 41 guys I'm getting on I can't <laughs> I can't read a book and stay awake um but I really enjoy that I'll listen to an audiobook and then I'm forever writing things in my notes to remember from what I'm listening to I love going to live events as well um mm. and learning I love learning from people that have done the things that I want to do um because and I love learning from people's mistakes as well number one because it makes you realize that you're not you're not a terrible business owner and you're not a failure. (laughs) Um, But number two, hopefully you can kind of mitigate some of those mistakes as well, which is why I share all the time how many mistakes I've made. Um, But yeah, I just love audio, audio books. But I've got to tell you, actually, one interesting thing is I do find every now and then I have to stop trying to learn 
um, because I can be too much of a, a learner and somewhere along the line you just got to stop and actually implement the things mm, that you've yep. learned um yep. so I do like I'll have um sprints if you like where I'm just like ah oh, information yes 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 and then I'm like okay no now we mm. must be and we must implement and then you know we'll go towards the next thing when I when I feel like I need to to fill a gap or level up yep. or whatever yeah that I think that's like a, a natural part of learning and if you don't do that, actually a lot of the stuff won't land. And yeah. you can read something, but until you try and do it and see how it applies in, in real life and what you need to mm. kind of adapt to your situation, until you do that a few times, uh, it doesn't actually fully land with you. And it's, no. it's ultimately just a series of quotes from books. I went yes. through, um, like a lot of people, I gave myself a reading challenge in 2021. Mm. Um, I know a lot of people did this. I read oh, I remember books yes, your posts. Yeah. yeah, it was it was almost 60 books I went through in a year. Um, and I would say I've got real lessons that I'm really using right now from maybe six of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what an effective use of your time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I had a great time. I loved uh, I loved most it's- of them. There were some great books in there, but but I didn't do any testing with the information yeah. that I was given right it's yeah. different when you're reading for learning than when you're reading for enjoyment you know yes. a good a good um, a good story uh, you actually you have to do something with the information otherwise it just even away. discuss it even discussing it with people right you might not implement mm. everything but this is why I love my business communities um, is to just chat about you know what I just what I've just read or what I've just learned or what this person said and I find that helps to solidify it a bit more in your brain even if you don't do something with it then it's there it's not going anywhere it'll kind of come up when it needs to I think but yeah particularly in in these times you know where we're all virtual um I think leaning on our communities is is really important it's a yeah. re- always actually not just these times but leaning on our communities to to learn and then reinforce our learnings is is critical I think yeah. for growth but also for mental health and and all that yeah <laughs> I know. I mean, obviously I agree with that. You know, I'm a a big lover of particularly business networking communities, obviously mm. previously having been at the entourage, which I, I still love um, greatly. Um, and actually on my way after this to, uh, to a networking event with, event with a company called business blueprint, which is a big mm. business community in, a, in Australia. Um, what's a, what's an audio book that you've, you've listened to recently or actually uh let me rephrase that mm. what's a what's a book that you've read or listened to that's had a had a big uh big impact on you give us a a, a good recommendation for the listeners do you know this this might not be one that you would expect but as i said i'm all about the personal and i mm. realized like for me and hopefully you will get that now from me sharing my journey is that my business it doesn't and wasn't ever going to and will never work if I'm not if I'm not operating mm. close to my optimum I don't have to be on firing on all cylinders all the time but when I was really in my burnout phase um, I read a book called Rushing Women's Syndrome I actually mm. don't think it has to be specifically to women to be honest with you obviously there's hormone stuff in there that don't, doesn't apply to men but everything else does and it was just 
it literally changed my life because it was me in a book like it explained Mm. all of the physiology that was going on it helped me to understand that it was the stress response fight or flight um and to that point doctors no one had really kind of helped me um Mm. so I was just like a hamster on a really very slow wheel (laughs) um and so that that showed me this is what's going on and then I could go and get the appropriate help um so that that was a massive a massive one for me and then look there's been all sorts of different business books over the years but I'm all I'm all about mindset stuff that's really um what helps me grow the most even the classics um you know think and grow rich all that kind of stuff I I just love that kind of stuff how to be creative I don't know if this is it if this is it how to be creative like Leonardo da Vinci I don't think that's the actual title but um just talks about how to unleash your creative juices um even the power of now which god if you've ever listened to the audio version of that you have to really (laughs) make your peace with his voice um but for for me that's that's I mean of course I need to know business strategy and I'll listen to books and read books I actually prefer the business strategy um to learn that from real life event things where you can implement things at the same time um but for me mindset is and and has been the key to mm. any success that I've had or like or failure but you know <laughs> yeah I had a speaking of mindset I had um uh, a moment at an event years ago uh with a with a presenter who was talking about mindset and mm. uh, he he came over with his hands to me and he went you're only ever this far away from everything you ever wanted and oh. he went, then he went ah between between my ears I was like oh nice nice one yeah Um, and it's funny you mentioned the power of now because um that's my my grandma's favorite book oh wow cool granny her her absolute favorite book uh yeah my grandma's in her in her 80s and she reads the power of now like pretty frequently she's read it a whole Mm. bunch of times the favorite book ever um yeah Okay, it's so, important. It's important. So, uh, to wrap up, yes. Uh, tell the people where can they find you, and what might they reach out about? Um, well, if you've got any good jokes, definitely reach out with that. <laughs> um, look, you can go to uppy.com.au. Um, that then you can find all of the places to find me from there. Um, as I said, uh, speaking, delivering experiences, hosting podcasts, presenting, emceeing, that's my jam nowadays. So that would be what you might reach out to me for. Um, log on to have a listen to Banterpreneurs. Um, that's mm. an improv podcast for small business owners. I've also written a book, Unfaked, um, which talks all around burning. It's a story of a lady that burnt out. burning out sorry not burning um (laughs) so there's multiple ways that you can um get in touch or consume things that i've done and you'll find all of them at uppy.com.au awesome uh it has been an absolute pleasure as always thank Uh, you so much for joining the show and uh we'll have to have you back sometime please well we'll see you on bantapreneurs next yes yes awesome thank (laughs) you so much bye-bye laura thanks ben